0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the CFPs on the program. With me in the KFG studios today, my business partner and friend, fellow CFP, Josh Gregory.
1: All those things. All Thanks, those Mike. and more. And more. <laughs> well, the stock market and investment world shaped up to be much better than expected, wasn't it? Were you surprised last year? 2023 turned out to be better than many people anticipated. And today we're going to be discussing what caused that performance, what's going to drive the markets in 2024, and then what changes you need to be making to your portfolio right now. We're gonna cover all that and more on this episode of the Wise Money Show.
0: That's right, and, and along the way, answering several questions that have come in about the markets and what I should be doing and what I should have expected in my returns last year. Hey, they didn't match the S&P 500. Is that, is that, uh, am I doing something wrong? And then hopefully hit questions at the end of the show as well. So if you have questions or have any needs, want a second opinion, we're here to help. Call us uh, or text us five seven four two 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 thousand. That's five seven four two 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 thousand. Online wise money show dot com. That's where you can find us, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. Okay, so you know I moonlight as a um, as a baseball coach.
1: I, I'm aware and of that you are aware. Yep, it occupies most of my. I'm not life. sure if you'd call that moonlighting though. <laughs> <laughs> That's daylight, yeah. morning light, moonlight, <laughs> all of it. Well,
0: so if you are. If you are up to bat and get a hit, get on base one out of every three times, you're a Hall of Famer in baseball. Like, And that is that is a terrible average. Just one out of three times? Are you serious? But that means you're one of the all-time greats. If you're right about predicting the stock market one out of three times, it would be a miracle. Like That is insane. Forecasters were dead wrong. Once again, that's one of the reasons why... We don't play the game of making forecasts because no one can predict the future.
1: It's always humbling, isn't it? Yeah. Who, who was it? Someone said once, and I'm paraphrasing so loosely that you'll never know who said this, <laughs> I guess, but the stock market in any given year is going to do whatever it takes to make the most people look bad. Yeah. Or humble the most people. Yeah. And, uh, man, last year, that, that was one because most people were... Bracing themselves for uh, an ugly year, potentially certainly in the economy. I know we're going to unpack a lot of that, but yeah, I I feel like throughout the year I was given a lot of warnings to clients like yeah. brace yourself. Uh, yeah, you never know. Even though we were coming off of the end of the prior year, 2022 ended nicely, right? Yeah, we had some reprieve after a long long decline. But man, uh, the stock market's always humbling us. Yeah.
0: It, pretty much, if you're if you're not up to speed, which is great, because don't listen to the noise, but um, essentially, going into 2023, yeah, Josh mentioned that, in 22, just awful year, bottomed in October, but from October to the end of the year, things came back a little bit, but still, 22, things were down, markets were, they, the S&P 500 was decent, down 19%. Other areas were down worse than that, and and pretty much everyone said, we're expecting a recession, in 2023, that markets will continue a decline in the first half or first nine months of 2023. And then things will start to recover in the second half of the year. And instead, the market did no such thing. Uh, The market delivered lumpy returns, As it almost always does, lulling people to sleep for the first nine to 10 months and then delivered a couple years worth of returns (laughs) all in two months. Right there. Which, guys, that happens. The market does deliver lumpy returns if you look at its behavior.
1: Uh, Recoveries always come way faster than people realize. They come sooner than people realize. And uh, I, I like how you said it kind of lulled people to sleep because yeah. it was just kind of quietly creeping along. It was an okay year for most of the year. And a lot of people were just content with that, happy with that. Yeah. And then the way that the year ended, uh, holy cow. I, I wonder if a lot of people even realize yet yeah. because it all happened so fast at the end.
0: Those two months were uh, extraordinarily um that was extraordinary in the context of even history with the markets. Um, almost a fifteen percent rally in the f- final eight weeks or whatever of the year. So let's get into it, okay? So, yeah. um, so what were the returns and what was the path? Start with the S and P five hundred. Josh, do you have those numbers?
1: I do. Yeah, the S and P five hundred, which is really the largest five hundred companies. Um in the US we kind of bundle them together and we track them as a group and call it the S&P 500. It was up 26%. Crazy. You know that that is way more than double on its way to tripling a typical or an average year over time, right? So And and as you said, Mike, so much of that came in just the final weeks of, of the year. So you may not realize it. And if you haven't gone and opened your 401k statement, you haven't opened that fourth quarter statement, maybe you've been a little nervous to, don't be nervous. Uh, go celebrate, uh, because it was probably a fantastic end. Because almost everybody has U.S.-based stocks as a dominant part of their portfolio, Yeah. even if you're in retirement. And so it's one of the reasons why we look at the S&P 500 as one of the key metrics to be paying attention to, much more than the Dow Jones Industrial Average, right? right? We don't even really talk about the Dow much uh, when, when we're working with clients and certainly on the show here, mostly because it's only 30 stocks. So how is it really representative of the whole stock market? And we'll get to this,
0: but it's not even the biggest 30. True. So, right, because last year the big headline was the Magnificent Seven. We're going to yeah. get to that here, but but that drove so much of the returns. The Dow isn't, isn't the largest 30. It's just a randomized 30. Uh, okay, so S&P 500 was once again the winner. I mean, so if you're diversified, we're going to get to this too, but you might be frustrated. We would tell you don't be frustrated. That's how diversification works. Does it work? Yes. Are you going to like it? No, because not all uh, baskets move in the same at the same magnitude at the same time. So that's you're right. gonna it's it's another year where you wish oh I wish I had all my money in the S and P 500. Well, yeah. that's not diversified. Um, international uh, um, investments were up about 19 percent. Small caps were it's a very interesting year for small caps. Finished the year great 17 percent. But listen guys, all of this and and um, real estate ended up being up 11 percent. Emerging markets up 10 percent bonds up five. Now, here's why I, I hustled through that. Because by the end of, by October, end of October, all of those areas except for the S&P 500 were negative year to date. They had given up all of their returns. The market did great to start the year in 2023 and then hit some bumps in March from the, uh, from the, uh, the regional banking crisis and then had a good summer, and then to start the fall, everything started trending back down. Even the S&P 500, but the S&P 500 stayed positive. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything was negative, except for the S&P 500, by the end of October.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And now we're talking double-digit returns for just about everything by the time the year ended.
1: Isn't that awesome? And you know, coming off of the, the prior year, 2022 was the worst year in bond market history. And so you might come into 2023 thinking, okay, I think investors overshot on the negative side and I'm going to bet on bonds. I'm going to you know, maybe uh, allocate a bigger portion of my portfolio there. I'm going to rebalance that kind of thing. And that would be a good contrarian, maybe rebound type of a play. But it was wrong, as you said, most of the year until all of a sudden we're back to a positive year in, in the bond market, which by the way, most years are positive in the bond market. They're just not as spectacularly positive as what the stock market is capable of doing. And, you know, again, up until up until November, bonds were awful again in
0: twenty twenty three. And if you were retired or, and and bonds made up a large portion of your portfolio, frustration. Very frustrating. All right. Twenty twenty three will go down as the year of the magnificent seven. The biggest, the largest seven stocks just dominated. And again, for most of the year, up until the last couple of weeks, those seven stocks pushed the entire S&P 500 up uh, significantly. Those seven stocks carried the S&P 500 versus the equally weighted being well under. NVIDIA was up 240%. Facebook Meta was up almost 200%, Tesla up 100%. But what you don't, what you can't see, I'm looking at the chart right here. Yeah, NVIDIA was up 230%, it was down 50% the year before. (laughs) Meta, Facebook, down 64% the year before. Tesla, down 65% the year before. Amazon was up 81%, it was down 50% the year before. And so, yes, these magnificent seven now. Uh, are are weighted uh, a a large percentage of the overall S&P 500 because the 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 fat got fatter That's and right. they're carrying the market but their recovery was was center stage because partly because their performance was so awful in 22 so That's the question. Sorry, Josh, to cut you off, but will that magnificent seven continue to carry things in 2024? What's going to drive the market? What should you do about it? We're hitting all of that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corehorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group. 2023 will go down as the year of the magnificent seven stocks. It just drove the market. Are they going to continue to drive the market in 2024? How should you make adjustments to your portfolio? That's what we're helping with right now. This is The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studio, Josh Gregory. No Kevin Corhorn today. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com and all over social media, wherever you're at. We're there as well. Search The Wise Money Show. We're recapping the the stock market for 2023, talking about what drove the markets, what happened, and then what's going to drive the markets in 2024, and what adjustments do you need to make? Still kind of recapping 2023, you just shared, uh, we we left off in the Magnificent Seven, you just shared some statistics.
1: Well, we were looking, trying to... um I almost take an x-ray, looking into the S&P 500, those 500 largest stocks here in the U.S. And Mike was talking in the last segment about how uh, the top seven, the magnificent seven, which are predominantly technology companies, uh, just dominated the the stock market. And that is really what dragged the whole s p 500 higher and what you have to know about the s p 500 is that it's not the 500 largest stocks and each one gets one five hundredth of the allocation in this basket no it's heavily weighted towards the bigger companies so it's it's cap weighted is what we would call it so the larger the company the bigger the portion it represents in this basket of 500 so the largest 10 let's say uh those 10 made up 32% of the overall value of the S&P 500. So in other words, if you own the S&P 500, 32% of that portfolio is in just these 10 stocks alone. Those 10 stocks were such outperformers. They actually drove 86% of those fantastic returns that we looked at last year.
0: Yeah, and really up until the last couple of months, I and many others were saying, hey, gotta be careful here got to be careful. This this is a sign of weak market breadth, meaning there's not a lot of participation um, in, and there's only a few names driving the market. Typically, that's a sign of unstable returns. And yet the the last two months of the year, everyone else started rallying as well. Mm-hmm. So, all right, uh, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, I mean, it it really speaks to the themes of what was driving the stock market, what was driving corporate America last year. Because when you have an environment where we've gone a long time, where every business owner that I speak to, they're all looking for team members to join their team, right? They're looking for employees and there's just not enough. Like the, the unemployment rate is so low that anybody who wants a job really should have a job right now. And when you're in that type of an environment, how do companies do better? They have to get more productivity out of the people that they have. And so investments in technology is a big theme. Yeah. And so it's not really a surprise to to hear things like artificial intelligence as as one of the things driving the market over the past year or so.
0: Well, before we get into all of that, one of the other sayings about the market I, I completely agree with, and I know you do too, Josh, is that the markets climb a wall of worry. And so it, it, essentially, if you, and I do think, I, I hope this wasn't you, but I think a lot of people found themselves on the sidelines last year having... Less money exposed to stocks than they than they normally would have simply because of how poorly markets performed in 22 and how much everyone expected that to continue in 23. And yet markets climb a wall of worry. So what were the big worries? I, I think first and foremost that the Fed is gonna push everything into recession. Last yeah. year was the was the recession that didn't come. Everyone predicted it. It was I think at one point um in October of twenty two two, they the economists, there was a 100% certainty, 100% <laughs> confidence rate that there would be a recession in the next 12 months. And that didn't happen, Yeah, right? That didn't happen. All of that stemming from four interest rate hikes by the Fed. Markets climbed that wall of worry. I mean, normally, if you said, oh, the Mar- the Fed's going to keep, keep standing on the brake and raise interest rates four times, oh, that's not going to be a great environment for the markets. No, markets did fine.
1: Well, the... You, you look back on history, though, and the stock market doesn't usually begin its climb or its rebound while the Fed is still tightening on its money supply, right? Like they're they're tightening the economy, they're tapping the brakes, whatever metaphor you want to use. They're, they're trying to slow things down because inflation was, it was out of control for a while there. Yeah. And I, I think this Fed got a lot of criticism because they were late to the game. They, they kind of let things run too long. And uh, because of that, they were trying to play catch up in a way. And when you're playing catch up by raising interest rates so rapidly, of course, I mean, everybody was expecting, okay, they're going to overshoot on the other side. Now they're going to go too aggressive. They're going to slow the economy down to a crawl and eventually stall this thing. And that's when we'll be in a recession. And of course, that was the prediction for 2023. And it it really hasn't happened. And I, I think... There's just enough fuel going in this economy. And much of it was driven by consumer spending. It was you and me buying stuff and living life, doing, doing what we're used to doing. Um, the issue, though, uh, and so a warning, I guess, this is where we, we have to turn the attention to your personal finances at, at some level. The, the risk is that consumers as a whole, and hopefully not you as an individual, have depleted down their savings to a level that maybe they've even gone negative and they've actually racked up quite a bit of credit card debt in that consumption um that that was happening last year yeah okay.
0: oh, well I, I was gonna say i mean not only was consumer spending resilient and, and yes we now have a record level of credit card debt at the time where interest rates on credit cards are also at a record as well we had we are running an incredible deficit. You could also say something that drove the market last year is GDP was pretty fantastic. When you look at the overall year, pretty fantastic. Just in the third quarter alone, our GDP increased uh, by almost 5%, a whopping $547 billion just in the third quarter at the same time the deficit grew by over 600 billion
1: yeah and so, just in that same quarter In that, that same saying. quarter because last year was it like 1.7 or something it was, it was astronomical yeah
0: and you would you would argue it's it's unsustainable and and then you know the question would be if we were if the government wasn't running this big of a deficit would the economy be expanding as much and of course the answer is no but um, but, but yeah, spending just continued and that was a theme, yeah. uh, that, that helped the market. That last concern
1: year. concerns a lot of conservative investors out there, yeah. doesn't it? Uh, because they're watching this happen and if effectively the economy grew by, you said 600 billion, 500 in some billion yeah. in that quarter, but we went and spent 120% of it, right? you know, um, that doesn't work in your personal finances, right? It doesn't work for the family finances. You get a pay raise and you go spend all of it and then some. Um, I, a lot of people are looking. Hey, this isn't sustainable, right? Yeah. The the government can't keep on borrowing at this this type of a pace. And those things concern investors. We were talking about. Well, what are what are the clouds kind of hanging over 2023? And are any of them, um, you know, still in place today as we go into 2024? But it really was. The, the dominant theme last year was what's the Fed going to do with interest rates? Because it drives so many other areas of, of the economy. Think about what it did in the housing market. Yeah. When interest rates, you know, you used to be able to get a fantastic, you know, historically low interest rate. And now all of a sudden we were up creeping over 7% there for, for a while. Yeah. and it just grinds things to a halt mostly because not just because people are unwilling to borrow at that high of a rate it's because most people are not willing to sell their house and give up the rate that they have right now yeah exactly everything's kind of ground to a, a halt there and that's one of the themes that was affecting the economy last year
0: i mean essentially the market returns are 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 directly coming from earnings grew Modestly by by corporations, I, I would say on average about eight percent earnings growth last year. So earnings grew, and that was driven by overall economic growth and the Fed raised rates. Yes, but they signaled right at the end of the year they're likely done with that, and we'll start lowering rates. Last year, all of that pushed the market forward despite interest rate hikes, regional banking crisis. The Russia Ukraine Ukraine conflict continuing. The Israeli war now a housing standstill. Housing drives the economy so much. When mm-hmm. there's that activity, there was none of that activity last year. Yep. And and all these concerns about a recession. Those couple things: earnings per share growth, uh, you know, the the uh, GDP growth,
1: and the Fed indicating they were going to start lowering rates, that drove Or at least stop raising rates, Right. right? That's all it took for the markets to feel like they've got the green light. And right there at the end of the year, things took off in the stock market based on the hope that the Fed was done with all the painful raising of interest rates.
0: All right, so we are done now with our recap because it's now then, well, is the Fed actually gonna reduce rates? Will that drive the market in 24? And oh, by the way, is there something else that's gonna drive the market? an election. We've got that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. How much impact will the election have on the markets? It's almost like the markets aren't even thinking about the election right now, but you know you will. (laughs) You know the markets will. What impact will it have? We're talking about that right now. This is The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG Studios, Josh Gregory. Every episode of The Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go search The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Subscribe to it there or follow us there and then write the program there. We We appreciate that. All right. This is our market recap show. There are six areas to your financial life, and making great financial decisions—not just good financial decisions—making great financial decisions is when you're looking at all six areas of your financial life and how those decisions intersect and 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 connect those areas. And in uh, investment planning gets a you know dominant share of the in, the financial talk, but it is just one of the six areas of your financial life. Is it important? Absolutely. Is it more important than all of the others combined? I would argue no, but you've got to consider those other areas as you're making big financial decisions. But this show, devoting completely to the investing world, we just recapped 2023, what happened. Let's talk about what's going to drive it in 2024. Let's, uh, Let's start with the Fed. Josh, let's, yeah. start, let's start there because really that is the reason why the markets took off in November and December is the Fed. Basically, the Fed was saying all along higher interest rates for longer. We might have more hikes in front of us, and when they announced that again in November, Wall Street basically said you're lying. <laughs> like know. like they, Jerome Powell said everything the exact same but it was at that moment that wall street was like yeah you're bluffing dude we're yep. not we yep. don't believe you and- it,
1: the belief that basically that they were they were done you have to stop raising rates before you can start cutting rates and so it feels like a precursor to what wall street really wants and that is lower interest rates again and that's really what investors are predicting actually even the fed though is predicting like when they do their forecasts of where they think interest rates are going to be a year from now, it's lower. So, so November, they said the same thing and the wall street
0: said, you're bluffing. And then in December they capitulated and were like, yeah, we're going to start lowering rates next year. What they, I think they said two or three rate hike, or rate de- decreases That's right. next year, but Wall Street already anticipating four or five.
1: That's right. So, it, and this data is out there. Like, you, you can actually go look at the Fed's forecast versus the market's forecast. And uh, the Fed is saying, you know, a, a year from now, at the end of 2024, 4.6% is where they think uh, rates will be. The market is thinking... Oh, my goodness. So not even really close, actually. Uh, So like you said, you know, the market is basically saying, okay, Fed, we don't really believe the words you're saying. We're kind of watching your actions. Or we're watching the data and making a prediction of what you're going to be forced to do. Mm -hmm. And so it it almost implies that, yeah, the market is still believing that there could be um, a, a recession ahead, and that forces the hand of the Fed to reduce rates, and try to try to catch the economy from uh, sinking down into an ugly, ugly spot. And they do that by lowering interest rates to try to stimulate economic activity again. Yeah. So that's obviously the, the main
0: driver of of the markets this year is, it, it, is still going to be the Fed and what the Fed does. Connected with that, though, is this soft landing, hard landing, no landing. I think we've I don't want to say this, but I think we can conclude that it's not going to be a hard landing or there hasn't been one yet. Wall Street is saying there's no landing. And what I mean by that is, OK, coming off, the, you know, trying to tame this wild, out of control inflation, the Fed had to slam, you know, stand on the brakes and and really tighten the monetary policy. And and the thought was, OK, that's going to cause a hard landing for the economy and, and the economy is going to crash into recession. Well, as that didn't happen, they said, well, maybe it's a soft landing. Now they're saying it's a no landing. There's there's no there's going to be no event. I'm not so sure. We'll see. That will obviously also drive the market as 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 we watch GDP numbers and as we watch the economy, do we actually dip into a recession?
1: This is something that every investor has to keep on um, educating yourself on. Keep reminding yourself that the stock market's behavior is a predictor of where the economy is going. It's not an indicator of where we are or where we've been. It's where the the investors believe that the economy is going. And so for the stock market to roar along at the very end of 2023, it's because investors believe that the economy is gonna be either, either in this soft landing scenario where we never really hit an ugly uh, recession or maybe that there's just none, none at all. Or if there is a recession, it's very, very mild, mm-hmm. right? That's essentially the range of outcomes that investors believe are going to come to the the economy. If it turns out to be right, then the stock market has has bet correctly, has behaved uh, appropriately. And you wouldn't expect all that good news then to drive even higher rates of returns. In other words, all the good news would be baked into the performance that we've experienced along the way. And so a lot of people look at an amazing year like last year, and they, they have more tempered expectations in the year that follows quite often.
0: Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the data show uh, after a good year in the stock market? It tends to be a good year in the stock market. I, that's, that's the it. thing. If you look at the data... The data is and we're going to get into this with with the election the data shows the markets tend to go up but does that mean they go up predictably every single day or every week or every month or every quarter or every year no but the averages are pretty astounding that just no matter the climate the markets are a good place to have
1: to have dollars that's right just don't have the same expectations of you know looking at the returns from 2023 and saying okay uh, there's good times ahead, and it's going to be another year of that. Yeah. After a year where the market is up 20% or more, on average, the next year has been up about 9
0: Yep. Yep. More, more average or close to
1: average. That's right. Yeah. All
0: right. But it's not just any year. This is an election year. And it's a, it's a contentious election of course, because (laughs) media and social media is pulling this country apart. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so we're going to have another very, you know, very awful and challenging, you know, struggle, political struggle ahead of us. How does the market, how, how will the market um, interpret that or digest that or, or behave during that?
1: Who knows? Right. Uh, You know, I've watched, enough presidential uh, election type years to say that they can be very unpredictable. They can turn on a dime. I, I remember one of the years that uh, Obama, I think, won re-election. Man, the economy was in a rough spot and things turned uh, at just the right time. And, and that's good for a an incumbent president just because They tend to take credit for the good stuff that happens, right? I personally don't believe that the president uh, gets the credit or the blame for how things are going in the economy as a whole. They can have policies that maybe have a little bit of influence, but at the end of the day, what drives the economy? It is consumer spending. Mm-hmm. And I, I realize that consumers are going to base their spending and everything on what's happening in the economy. Do they have good jobs? Are interest rates low? That, that kind of thing. And it's part of the reason why all the themes that we were talking about for last year, it's not like those themes just go away because we turned a page in the calendar, right? These themes continue on. It is still about what is the Fed doing with interest rates and, um, and how are consumers, are they going to be able to continue to be resilient? And that's why I really do, I ask you the question, well, what is your financial health looking like right now? Mm-hmm. Your personal balance sheet. Are you in a good spot where you have good emergency funds still in place? Do you have a budget that's working or are you spending just a little bit more than you're earning and you're, you're starting to rack up a little bit of debt? These are the things that really matter in the broader economy, but I, I want you caring about your economy, your personal economy. And yes, this is a show, today's show. The theme is about what's going on in the investment world. I I realize that. But your ability to um, remain an investor, to stay in the game, to keep contributing, is dependent upon your personal financial health, that foundation that you've built. And so here at the beginning of the year, even in a show about the investment world, I, I think it's important to just pause and say... Hey, have you taken inventory of where you're at financially? And is there something you could be doing this year to get yourself even stronger? It may be getting a coach in place. It it may be having someone help you evaluate the next strong move that you can make so that you can take advantage of what the market has always given. It's always been up and to the right in the long term. Mm -hmm. From year to year, quarter to quarter, it's almost like it doesn't really matter that much. Because if you are betting on the world-class companies, the, the best um, investments to own in the world, over time, you're going to be right way more than you're wrong on, on that one. Yeah.
0: I, all of this is leading towards, well, what should you do? What What changes should you make? How should you position your portfolio? What adjustments should you make? We're going to hit a little bit more on what to expect in the markets next year, but then but then taking us to what changes should you make. So that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory. No Kevin Corhorn today. Every episode of the Wise Money Show, as well as a lot of other content, is on the YouTube channel, Go check it out. Go to YouTube, search The Wise Money Show. Not only is the talk show there, but we push content there every single day of the work week, taking one financial concept, applying it directly to your financial life, and looking at it from a holistic or comprehensive way. And so we're about to talk about the election cycle and what the uh, how the markets usually respond during an election year. I've done several videos on that before. So go to YouTube, search The Wise Money Show, subscribe to that channel, turn on notifications So you're made aware every time we drop new content. All right, before we get into what you should be doing with your dollars right now, your portfolio, wanna come back to the election cycle, right? We've got, it's an election year. We, uh, We might not feel that as much right now as we think about the markets, but trust me, you will coming later this quarter and certainly come the summer. How does the market normally perform? Well, any year, I mean, the data is extremely clear. Any year of the, of the you know, four years uh, president is in, is in office, whether they're blue or red, whether they're new or reelected, it's a good year to be inve- an investor. <laughs> when you look at the averages, on average, it's a good year. Okay. Now, of those years, though, are some better than others? And yeah, it turns out there are the first year average returns are fantastic slightly above long-term averages first year a president is in office that's not the election year though that's their first year second year is typically it's still a good year to be an investor but has historically the lowest performance that would have been 22. lines up the Mm -hmm. stock market did, did awful in 22. the best year of the of a four year term is the third year that would have been 2023 well above average returns. So then what about the election year, year four? Still a great year. Still a great year. A new president on average, if a new president is elected on average, a 12 percent rate of return It's going back 70 years. Hmm. Um average is it less if there's a new president no it's it's uh actually less if it's a re-elected president oh okay and and i think that makes sense josh we've done this enough i don't know how many five presidential elections four that that we've that we've been a part of it'd be five right um yeah the the as soon as the election is over the markets are finally like okay we know what to expect and because markets are forward-looking they quickly adjust if it's a reelected president, it's often okay, more of the same, and that that still produces you know close to average returns um, uh, over the long term. But a little bit less if it's a um, reelected president. Yeah. So it's is it going to be contentious? Yes. Is it going to be stressful? Yes. Will there be ups and downs in the market? Yes. History says election years are still great years to be an investor.
1: Yeah. What what are the statistics like? Uh, just. Across the board, is it three fourths of years and positively in the stock market? Yep. If you just look back, and I, man, I, I gotta tell you, if, if you had an opportunity three fourths of the time to put money to work and have it end well for you, w- wouldn't you be doing that all the time, right? Yep. Um, in, in fact, I, there are we, we have clients who are very unemotional about their investments, right? I know you, you work with uh, one client who he wants to get his Roth IRA funded at the very beginning of every single year because he knows three-fourths of the time he's going to be right, and it's going to be a positive year, so why not get the money working as early as possible? That's right. right? Yep. and And that's just understanding that the markets, yes, they go up and down, but those down periods they're temporary declines. Mm-hmm. right? And it may feel like the whole world is crashing in on you like it did back in 2022. But very quietly, things can start to rebound. And then very suddenly, things can rebound. And you can miss out on all of that if you're still hunkered down in your bunker and you're, you're kind of hiding out in cash. You're not truly being an investor. You're, you're trying to be a predictor of the future. The reality is, The professionals don't get it right all the time. In fact, they often don't get it right. Um, And investors, uh, we as individuals, we are emotional with our money and we're often doing the exact wrong thing. when when we're making decisions or pivots, changes with our investments, and it's one of the reasons why you really have to have a long-term approach, have a disciplined approach, and that's that's really part of the theme of what we would say you need to be focused on here in 2024. It's it's you know um, not trying to hit a home run every time you're at the plate. Yeah, uh, you can win the game with singles, doubles, some triples here and there. Um, the, the point is what are the, the disciplined, um, every year types of behaviors that you can do things like rebalancing your portfolio. Coming off of a year where the stock market ballooned so much right at the end of the year, you may have some portions of your portfolio that have grown to an outsized portion of the portfolio, and it needs to be trimmed back a little bit. Mm -hmm. There may be some buying opportunities that can occur when you rebalance the portfolio. You
0: you hit the first two on my list. The the top one on my list was ensure that you're taking the right level of risk in your investments. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is, and you might say, oh, of course, no, 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 Re- recalibrate. Look at your financial goals as you sit down with your CFP, take a look and say, well, what's the appropriate risk level that I should be taking for my age and the goals I'm trying to pursue and where I'm at in relation to those goals? And then am I taking that level of risk? The temptation was in 2023 to take less risk than you actually should, whether your financial advisor coached you on that or whether you were just feeling that because you were it was so painful in 22, you couldn't afford to to experience that again. And so you said, I've got to reduce the risk. Well, now the temptation then is to say, oh, well, risk is working again. Let's let's go to the complete opposite extreme. I've got to make up some ground because I was caught flat-footed, let's take even more risk. No, yeah. no, no, recalibrate to the right level of risk. Tune into your financial plan and recalibrate that. And, and often that either comes from setting up a rebalance immediately, doing a rebalance, or setting up a, an ongoing rebalance schedule to be more disciplined with ensuring that you are taking the right level of risk.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I would also say setting up the, the right level of cash. In your financial life. And many of you who are either on the eve of retirement or are already in retirement, you recognize that one of the most important decisions that you have to make on an ongoing basis is when do you harvest cash out of your portfolio? You've got all these dollars that you accumulated during your working career, it's invested in the markets, whether that's stocks or bonds or real estate. And at some point, it's got to come out of that productive. Uh, status and into a cash position so it's ready to be spent because you're in retirement right you have you have lifestyle to maintain you may have some big ticket purchases or experiences that are coming up on the horizon and so you need to be thinking about what are my cash needs over the next couple years and is this a good time to maybe do some trimming in the portfolio pulling investment dollars out and getting them into safekeeping so that they're ready for you when you need them uh, you, you may be um, at, at a point where required minimum distributions yep. are are ahead of you. Maybe you're old enough that you can do some uh, qualified charitable distributions, giving money to some charities. you got to have cash to be able to do that stuff. Yep. And uh, if, if you are waiting until the last possible second to get your hands on that cash or, or get it out of the investments and into safekeeping within your portfolio still, you may be waiting to a point where the market's actually down and it's not an ideal time to do that harvesting. Yep. And then I would,
0: uh, the other side of that coin is new money that should be invested. Make sure it's going invested into the right allocation, the right mix as well. That's another theme coming off of 22 and into 23 is people were looking at their contributions into their retirement accounts or 401ks and saying, well, I'm contributing money and yet it keeps going down and therefore the feeling is that money's lost. No, you were buying shares and those shares were being repriced at a lower level. And so people just gut reaction was, well, I'm going to invest, my new money into safer things. I no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that if you're in the wealth building stage. Even if you're later in your career, I wouldn't do that. Make sure that your new investments are going into the right allocation. Okay, Josh. Prediction for 2024.
1: I, I think the market's going to go up and down, just like every other year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But overall, you you do hope that it's going to be another positive year in the market. But that roller coaster ride. That, that can mess with your emotions, and it's part of the reason why your investment decisions need to be part of a financial plan. Have a coach with you to help you fight back some of those emotions, and it's it's not too late already. You know, we're, we're still early in the year to make this a year that you base your decisions on a financial plan. Get a coach if you don't already have one, and uh, we're happy to introduce you to a certified financial planner if you've never met one before.
0: That's right. That's right. All right. That is all the time we have for today on behalf of Josh Gregory, myself, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
1: Did I tell you that we built a computer uh, over the holidays? No. Lego? So-